<laughs> okay. Um, well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> As Ryan said, my name's um, Alexander Fent. I'm, I'm part of the team, and I'm honoured to be sharing God's word with you this morning. And we've been talking about the gospel of the kingdom of God, and we are now addressing the implications of the good news of God's kingdom come in Jesus. And the implications essentially has to do with three things, identity, authority, and mission. And uh, Ryan uh, started off on identity, and Sydney uh, continued last Sunday, and I'm going to share with you th this Sunday as well as next week. Also to say that I normally just work on some notes to get my thinking clear, so the notes are available for those who want them. I posted them on the All Leaders WhatsApp, and but if you want it, contact the office, and this will be sent to you. Sir Ryan will also put it on the encouragement group as well. But um, also just I have chosen to have PowerPoint so that you can just follow easily with me through what I'm sharing. I think this is, I consider this very important um, information. Jesus said, if you, if you are, are my follower, then you will hold to my teachings and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And there's a lot of pain around identity, identity issues. There's a lot of brokenness, broken identity, a very poor sense of self. And we struggle deeply at, diff and, and, yeah, at different times of our lives with this issue of identity. So we need to know the truth. We need to hear God's word clearly. So on the next slide, um, I have Paul's text. Uh, from Corinthians, which I will come to next Sunday morning, but I just want to introduce what I'm saying around this slide. He said, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, Jesus, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but, but live for the one who died for them and was raised again. So therefore, from now on, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. We don't see people through labels of identities that we are used to anymore. And we don't even see Jesus through his, his, the labels that were put on him. But if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And the old has gone and the new is here. All the old labels and identities begin to fall away. And everything becomes new in the new creation that Jesus brings us. So, on the next slide, let me introduce identity. Identity is our sense of self that we have, but in relation to other people and our world around us. It's not just private and personal, but it's fundamentally in relationship to reality around us. And it is generally formed by a mix of beliefs values, gender, race, class, and, and achievements. Also, identity is formed by a sense of failure. 
there's deeply broken identity and uh, inner performance and all that goes around it often goes into our sense of self, how we feel about ourselves. And identity in God is given, but it is also developed and formed. And sometimes it's even imposed upon people. And that is if you accept it from others. So this issue is a matter of really thinking through from a biblical point of view. Who are you? Who are you really? Who am I? And the deep confusion in this world, uh, this word dysphoria. Have you heard of the phrase gender dysphoria? But dysphoria means confusion, disorientation. And uh, biblically, the question is, who are you? Who am I? And God has an answer for that, a very clear and specific answer. And we're not out there adrift in the deep sea of our feelings and our inner messages and what people around us say back to us. We are not lost. We are found and secured, and we need to hear what God says about who you are and decide to believe that. In the world, the way of identity is around self-identifying, and it's become particularly prominent, especially around human sexuality, is to self-identify and choose your own gender. And, it, and it's the, the philosophy behind it is called... Um, uh, expressive individualism, which essentially says this, the purpose of life is to be happy as an individual. And to be happy, I must be authentic and true to myself. And the way I am true to myself is I decide who I am. And once I decide who I am, I must have the freedom to live that out. And then I'm being authentic and I will become happy. And of course, that includes... When it comes to gender and sexual identity, today there are 72 recognized gender identities. Um, if you just Google it, you'll know that there are 72 different recognized gender identities. So the, the, the Western world is all about individualism, and that is the God of the West. Me, myself, and I, I decide... Uh, on the basis of how I feel about myself, who I am, and I must have the freedom to live that out, and then I'll be happy. That's part of the deep confusion here. Biblically, God identifies us. And God identifies us in creation and in new creation, which I will now talk about on the next slide. So in the book of Genesis, we have the story of creation, which is creation design as God intended identity to be from the beginning. And then we have the fall into sin because of human rebellion and therefore broken and fractured personal identity. And the way from the, the, the garden story, the way human identity goes is very clear. And it's been practiced the same way throughout human history. First, there is human identity when God said, let us make ha'adam in our image and in our likeness. So ha'adam in the Hebrew is the earthling or the human because adam is from adama, the earth, the ground. And I just heard this morning, I arrived a bit late for the, the prayer meeting before, and I think it was Nick who said it, that when God 
created Adam out of Adama. God formed a body out of the earth, the ground. And then God, God the Creator, knelt down on his knees and breathed into that body the breath of life. And that person became a living being. That was Adam. And when he opened his eyes, the first face he saw was God's face. And the imprint of God's face became the blueprint of his life. The imprint of God's face is the blueprint of your identity. Because we, as human beings, God identifies all human beings as his image. So you can start off by saying, because I'm human, I am God's image and God's likeness. I mean, that, that's profound. That's, that's radical and revolutionary. No matter what else you might think about yourself, you, you need to stop right there and say, God says I am his image. Therefore, I am who he says I am. Not what I feel I am. Not what I think I am, but who he says I am. And the truth, that truth will set you free from all of your neuroses, all of your complexes, all of your struggles and brokenness about who you are. But then it goes from human identity to gender or sexual identity because it says, God, let us make Ha'adam, the human, in our image and in our likeness, male and female created he them. So God, as it were, sexed the human into male and female, equally as the image of God, but that's gender and sexual identity. But then it becomes personal, personal identity, where God named Eve. Eve in Hebrew means living, the mother of all living, living and Adam. And so when in a marriage the wife falls pregnant, she says, Darling, we're going to have a baby. <laughs> That's a human being, a human identity. During the pregnancy, the gynecologist asked, do you want to know the, the, the sex of your baby? Yes or no. But you do get to discover the sex of your baby when the baby's born. Even, I mean, if you don't want to know during pregnancy. That's sexual identity. It's a boy or it's a girl. Then thirdly, personal identity, a name is given to the boy or a name is given to the girl. So throughout human history, biology teaches us from creation the way identity works. With the image of God gendered as male or female with a personal name and names in Hebrew and Hebraic understanding and Jewish understanding have to do with identifying the nature and the destiny of people. So you have this throughout the Bible. I mean, what a powerful song, Yeshua. You know, um, on, on Facebook, there's uh, the little videos, and what comes up now repeatedly on my feed, because I watch it all the time, is the song in Hebrew of all the Hebrew names of God. And someone has imposed that on the whole, um, um, the gathering of thousands of Jews at in Jerusalem at the western wall of the temple and you hear the singing and it's as if this thousands and thousands of Jews are singing it that's prophetic of what's going to happen but Yeshua um, when when Joseph found out 
that Mary ha- was pregnant. It was, a, I was going to say a groot hana hana, but then I didn't say it. I, um, it was a big consternasi optistasi, and I didn't say that either. But it, it was a major problem because they, before their wedding, she was found to be pregnant. And because Joseph was a righteous man, wanted to divorce her or break off the betrothal, which we would call engagement, privately to save her from um, the embarrassment and send her away. But then God sent an angel and appeared to him in a dream and said, Don't worry, I have done this. The Holy Spirit has come upon her and she's pregnant. And she will have a son and you will call his name Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. The meaning of Yeshua is Yahweh saves. All names have meaning in Semitic usage, and they have to do with personal identity. But that, of course, gets warped. Just to stop and to say that I, Alexander, Ferdinand, Fenter, my, my mom was German, so she chose the first names. My dad was Argentinian, Afrikaans, so he chose the second names, which was Spanish. And uh, they gave me the name Alexander Ferdinand. But when I was 13 years old, in, at Cambridge High School in East London, a guy, David Ganetsky, who was in my class, he led me to the Lord. And he, he, he nicknamed me Bushy because my hair was always long and I was always in trouble with the prefects. You know, those days you had to have a standard. So I had this identity of Bushy from my conversion. That was back in 1968. But you know what? As the years went by, I was always this, this, this identity of Bushy was a mixed blessing for me because I was like considered to be prophetic and radical and pushed the envelopes and did this, that, and the next thing until I had a car accident in 1993, a near death experience. After a vineyard pastor's conference in Montague, my colleague was driving the car and we left after the e- the last meeting in the evening to drive back to Joburg. And through the Karoo, at about half past 12 at night, he fell asleep at the wheel. And the car left the road, hit a calvert, and, and bounced. Basically, cartwheeled head over back and bounced in the field. And I was pulled out by the G-forces, literally. I was pulled out by the G-forces and ended up underneath the car. And when I came around... Um, my hip was shattered, my leg was broken, and I was bleeding because I, I went out through the back window where there was glass in my head all over, and I was bleeding. It was a near-death experience. I was in hospital for six weeks. They had to reconstruct my hip. In hospital, I felt the Lord speaking to me, especially the first week when I was on morphine because of the pain. <laughs> uh, that came out wrong. Okay. Is that, was that the Lord or the morphine? <laughs> I, okay, that's, well, that's interesting. So God can use morphine or he can work apart from morphine. But I, had, I was like in a delirium and I actually saw hallucinations. It was interesting. I won't go into it. But I felt the Lord say to me, because it was a near-death experience, 
I smelt death, or I knew that when the accident happened and I came around, I had an awful smell, and in retrospect, I knew I smelt death. Death came to me, and death could not have me because God put boundaries on that experience. And I felt the Lord say to me, you are not bushy, but through your parents, I sovereignly named you Alexander from birth. And find out the meaning of your name, Alexander. And then I did research and I found out the etymology, the root meaning from the Greek Alexander means protector of the people and defender of the faith. Protector of the people and defender of the faith. So I started to say to everyone, and Jill and my children included, don't, you know, don't call me bushy anymore, but call me Alexander. I want to embrace my identity that God gave me through my parents from conception up to the present day. And not my identity from 13 years old up to when I was 20, 20 uh, or 30 years old when this accident happened. Names are important. Do you know the meaning of your name? Because through your parents, but also name changes. And I've gone way on. So you can go to the next slide. I, I, I've gone way on now. N name changes. Remember Jacob. The word Jacob means a deceiver, a schemer, a conniver. And when he was going to meet his brother Esau, he was scared. And he then he... he he, an angel appeared to him and he wrestled with an angel uh, until the angel put his joint, um, his hip out of joint. And, and, and the angel said, let, let go of me. And Jacob said, I will not let go of you. I will hold on to you and wrestle with you until you give me a blessing. And you know what the angel then said? What is your name? In Hebrew, that means, who are you? Who are you really? And he had to say, I am Jacob. I am a deceiver, a schemer, and a conniver. I deceived my, my brother Esau and got his birthright. And then the angel said, because you've acknowledged and confessed who you are, I am changing you to who God wants you to be. And you will no longer be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. Israel is a prince of God. Is a ruler with God. God changes names as well through power encounter. And sometimes we are given a name that actually is not God's divine destiny for us. And when we become a follower of Jesus, that's why in the Western world, have you heard of this phrase called a Christian name? So when the European missionaries came to Africa and around the world, they met people who worshipped African gods and were named after African gods. So um, Samuel Kiston, who's a vineyard pastor in Chatsworth, was from a Hindu background, and his name was Siva Kiston. And Siva is the name of a Hindu god. And when he came into the vineyard, he was still Siva Kiston. And in 1982, when Wimba came out, and you know, Wimba looked at him and said, Siva Kiston, have you thought of changing your name 
because Siva is a Hindu god. And he immediately said, yes, I would like to be Samuel, the prophet of God. So we renamed Siva Samuel with a new identity. So names are important. So in the Bible, we are born in relationship, by relationship, for relationship. Um, You know, uh, a Catholic uh, French philosopher, Gabriel Marcel, has this wonderful phrase. He says, the I is the child of the we. So my, my mom and my dad fell in love and they entered into a covenant of marriage and that's the we that gave birth to the I. Personhood, identity is defined by community. Community defines us. God in the Trinitarian community said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, create humans and identify them. Covenant community gives birth to individual identity. And so we then grow into it and we are, we are known by those to whom we belong. In the Bible, people were named by their father, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, the son of Jonah, you are named by whom you belong. So in the fall of humanity into sin, on the next slide, um, is broken identity. And it's interesting, God, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came to the woman and then to the man and confronted them. And basically, because of their fall into sin, God said, because you were taken out of the man, your desire will be for the man, and you will bring forth children in pain. And because, God said to Adam, because you were taken out of the earth, the earth will be cursed, and in toil and pain you will bring forth food from the earth. And so, in the fall of humanity, rebellion against God, broken identity is that the woman's bent and leaning is towards the man to find her identity as the wife and the mother and the homekeeper. Because the man was taken from the earth, his bent will be towards the work and the earth to find his identity as the provider, the protector, and the procreator. So I've done a lot of um, talks on, on men's issues, and traditionally throughout human history, male identity revolves around the idea of being the provider in the home. And you know, that has been dominant throughout human history until the 1960s, post-World War II, where in Europe and in Asia, all the women had to man the factories, had to woman the factories. (laughs) Because the men were out in the battlefield. Are you aware, people, that throughout the entire theater, of World War II, that was Asia, Japan, um, all over the Indonesian islands, Europe, etc. 52 million people were killed. That's the total casualties of World War II. 52 million people. The men were all out on the battlefield, therefore the woman had to enter the workplace and make help create the ammunition. So women entered the workplace for the first time, and that was part of the beginnings of women's liberation. 
And when men came back from the war, their identity was deeply dislocated because women were in the workplace. Because the man had to be the breadwinner. Right? Everyone's going very quiet now. Um, so, so, people, it's not a blessing that you are identified by having to be a protector, a provider, and a procreator. That's actually part of the curse. You know that male identity is the image of God, as the love of God, and not having to perform to be a man. You know, in South Africa, now show yourself to be a man. What does it mean in South Africa? Basically, give someone the gift of the fivefold ministry. You know, male identity in South Africa is deeply, deeply toxic and broken. Because you have to perform to be a real man. And if you can't provide for your family, you're not a man. And women cannot provide for the family. They are, there, they are just there basically to, be, to provide babies and look after the house and be a mother and raise the children. Men don't raise children. Men are out at work. Men find the identity in going from here to there and increase the bank balance and get a better house and a better wife. And a better car. It is, not, it is not a better wife. But a better car. A better job. A better house. A better bank balance. Perform. Push and pull. Yeah, that's broken identity. That is the curse. That is the curse. That's not a blessing, dear friends. On the next slide. So therefore, it's a movement away from identity that comes from your sense of being to identity that comes from doing. And if you find your identity in what you do in life, you are a setup for disaster. Because doing is all about, biblically, doing is all about the simple overflow, the natural overflow and expression of your deep sense of being. Our being in God is love. We were created by love, in love, for love. And in the Bible, love defines us because God is love. And we're made in His image. And we are people who love and are loved. And that essentially defines us, the unconditional love of God. And God does not need us to perform to earn that love. We, we receive that love whether we earn it or not. And so those who find, you know, Simon Bar-Jonah, as an example in the Bible, was known later in church history as Simon the fisherman. And so we have this thing where people then start finding their identity out of performing, out of doing, out of achieving, and, and out of career, out of work, and titles, etc. And we have to be very careful. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, actually find their identity in ministry. And you know, if you find any sense of identity in your serving God and what you do in the church, you're going to really struggle because you will subconsciously look for strokes and look for feedback, and look for affirmation and recognition. And if it doesn't happen, 
Then you start speaking in tongues. Because you become known. You know, it, it's so crazy. The games we play in church life is just, is just, is actually so dysfunctional that it is sick. Because um, when I went to John Wimber, I had been an Assemblies of God pastor for five years before I went and teamed up with Wimber and worked with him for eight months. And you know, in the Assemblies of God in the early days, we always had two Sunday services. The Sunday morning was the believer's service, and the pastor used to preach. Sunday evening was the, was the gospel service, and the pastor used to preach. I preached two sermons every Sunday for five years. I mean, now and again, obviously, other elders shared it, but it was a different concept of ministry. When I went to, to Wimber, one of the first things he sat down, he said, let's clear expectations when you come. For eight months, you're going to be working as a research assistant, and you're not going to do any preaching or teaching for eight months. And I said, that's fine. And he looked at me and said, can you handle that? Is your identity locked up in your preaching and teaching? Or if you just stop immediately preaching and teaching for eight months, will you still know who you are? Will you still be okay with who you are? If you stop prophesying, if you stop performing and functioning and doing whatever, will you still know who you are or will you be deeply dislocated in your ego? Because we put so much honor on ministry, whereas ministry is just a function. It's not about honor at all. Ministry is a function in the body of Christ. Your honor is because God calls you my daughter or my son. Your honor is that you are loved by God. And because you are loved by God, you can serve. And if people recognize it, hallelujah. If they don't recognize it, hallelujah. It's not an issue at all. Because we live for the audience of one. God. What God thinks about you is important. What people think about you is not important. What you think about yourself is not important. It's what God thinks about you. You live for the audience of one. And if you're doing the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, you're fine. If people see it or don't see it or comment or don't comment, it's not a problem at all. So... Jesus rejected titles. Yeah, so for women to, to have to stay at home and be the housekeeper. No, no, this... Let me introduce you to Jill Fenter. <laughs> yeah, in fact, this is my wife, so just relax. It's all okay. We will go home and we'll kiss and we'll make up. <laughs> but it's true. For women to have to have this, this sense of history, and burden of history and the mindset, I am here, but I'm a woman just to produce children 
look after the house and keep my husband fed and happy. That is a curse. That is not God's creation design. What about women who cannot give birth to children? Do they feel less than a woman if they can't give birth to children? What about women who never get married? Are they less than a woman because they are single? You see, these issues run deep. What about women in the workplace who are dominated by men who have the old male mindset that it's the man who provides, not the woman? And they struggle with this tension of oppression and prejudice from a man. Our world is messed up. We are so far from creation design. We are so far from creation design. Is that what you wanted me to say? Okay, do you want to add anything more to it? Okay, okay. So, so friends, let me, let me finish this off because I'm sure my time's up. Yeah, my time is, is up. So let me just finish off with this last comment here on Matthew chapter 23. So Jesus says very clearly that don't let, don't, in the kingdom, his followers... In the kingdom of God, identity has got nothing to do with the way the particular dress, like the particular rabbis or the Pharisees who are identified by their dress, or by the positions that they have in society. Like when you go to a meal, those that are the man of God get the seat of honor. So, and also about titles. Jesus actually said, do not call anyone rabbi, which is the word teacher, because you only have one rabbi, and that is Mashiach. And don't call anyone father, because you only have one father, and that is God. So Jesus in the kingdom did away with identity wrapped up in doing, in performing. So any titles, any positions, with eldership or or life team, or whatever, um, any dress code that marks you out as different. You know, Jewish identity marked them out by having to eat kosher food and dress differently to distinguish themselves from the unclean goyim. And Jesus actually did away with it because your identity that is racially, positionally, or whatever defined is idolatry. It's an idol of of, of personal pride. So I'll just finish off with one last story. In 1970, um, um, when was it? 2005, in Jakarta, Indonesia, I was at, an, I, I, I was at a World Transformation Conference. A guy, Louis Bush, organized it. There were a thousand international delegates that came. I was asked to lead a workshop on justice and reconciliation from our book, Doing Reconciliation. And so we were all paired. Um, how many of you have been to Jakarta? It's, it's more humid than Durban. Way more humid. It is hot. And we arrived there, and it was sweaty. I was in the hotel room, and I was sharing with another um, international delegate. Because we were all paired. It was funny. I got into the room, and I was so hot, I, I put on my shorts and a T-shirt. <laughs> and I was cooling off, and then I heard a knock at the door. And when I opened the door, there was this short gentleman in a three-piece suit with a big suitcase. 
the suitcase was almost as big as he was. And uh, this was now my, obviously, in the hotel, my, my partner. And so he stuck out his hand and he said, he said, Hola, I am Rodrigo Gonzalves, the chief apostle of Recife and Bente Horizonte. He stuck out his hand. And then a naughty spirit rose up in me. It was a naughty spirit. And I stuck out my hand. And there I was in shorts and a t-shirt. And he's in a three-piece suit. I mean, he was sweating. He was wet. And I stuck out my hand. And I said, I said, Hola, I am Alexander Fenter, the intercontinental ballistic apostle over Africa, Asia, and Australia. And he looked at me. He said, Dios, obrigado, obrigado, hallelujah. And he, and he came in. <laughs> and we became good friends. We ended up laughing about it. But, but you know something? It is sick. How we say, I'm an apostle. I'm a prophet. When people say, Pastor Alexander, I say to them, please do me a favor. Don't reduce me to one function in my life. Do you know that I'm more than a pastor? Do you know that I'm a husband? Do you know that I'm an economic being, I spend money? Do you know that I'm a political being, I vote? Don't reduce me to one aspect of function in my life. Because pastor is just a function. Calling me Pastor Alexander actually is an insult. It's not respect. It's an insult. Call me Alexander because that is who I am. I'm not a, I'm Alexander who happens to pastor and husband and father and work and spend money and vote. I'm a holistic being. Summarizing my Alexander. So Jesus did away with dress code, positions, power, title, privilege. In which the world wraps its identity. Our identity is in God. We'll pick it up next week. Let's stand. Yeah. So, folk, I'm just going to pray, and then those who want ministry, you come forward, and the ministry team will be here. But just hold your hands out in a receiving posture. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Receive the kingdom of God. Receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Breathe in and let the Lord just come upon you. Bless your people, Lord. Bless your people in the name of Jesus. Bless them. Be healed in your broken identity. Receive the love of the Father. Receive the affirmation of God. You are love. You are beloved. You, in God, are free from all the other stuff in the name of Jesus.
We break the power of all the other stuff that tries to define you. In your mind, in your emotions, in your body, and in the people around you. We break the power of the stuff that tries to define you. In Jesus' name. And we bless you as loved by God. Truly, you the image of God, my brother. I bless you. So Lord, heal, restore and transform in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go well. And those who want ministry, come forward.